Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Chapter 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Thanks be to God. So it's the second day of Advent. We lit the Bethlehem candle. And that means our annual tradition of talking about bread. Talking about bread. And I wanted to tackle this difficult teaching. The Bible calls it too difficult. This teaching about Jesus being the bread of heaven. But before we talk about this bread, I want to talk about the Beatles. So in London in March 1966, John Lennon said the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. Remember this? Yep. I quote, he says, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I didn't argue with that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which one will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Huh? And after he said this, hordes of Christian Beatles in America burnt their Beatles records, right? And the Beatles never toured in America again <laughs> after this PR kerfuffle. People still love the Beatles, but they lost a ton of followers that day, okay? By contrast, in Capernaum, in about 30 AD, Jesus loses tons of followers. They start burning Jesus records. But what did he say that got them so irate, or at least made them walk away? He said, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. That was his bigger than Jesus moment. That's what lost him a lot of followers. Well, let's not split hairs here. Why am I comparing them? There's not a lot of hairs to split. Jesus was right, John Lennon was wrong, okay? The backlash against the Beatles, I think, proved pretty conclusively that Jesus was still bigger than the Beatles. They couldn't come back to America. And Christianity doesn't shrink. It doesn't vanish. Uh, the, the prophecy of Isaiah has so far in history proven true that of the increase of his government, of Christ's government, there will be no end. It might seem to shrink in some places, like in the Northeast, but it's growing elsewhere. It's always growing. Look at the revivals that's ha that are happening in China, in Africa, throughout the Middle East. Of the increase of his government, there's no end. It ain't shrinking away, folks. Um, and also, I'm kind of sad about this personally, but rock and roll did go away first. Rock and, there hasn't been a rock and roll song in the top five. Uh, billboard for over 10 years. I'm sad to say. 
I'm in the wrong business, apparently, but that's okay. So Jesus was right, John Lennon was wrong, but the effect of their words on the public was the same, okay? But here's the problem with what Jesus said. Here's the problem with what Jesus said in Capernaum. He had just fed 5,000 people with a miraculous bread and loaves thing, you know? You know that little chestnut, that old chestnut. A few pieces of bread broke into thousands. That was a big miracle, a public miracle. He fed the hungry, right? And no big deal, he just, after that, he walks on water, right? That was the sequence of events. He was riding so high in public opinion, he had to hide from them because they were gonna take him by force to make him king, okay? That's some serious increase of kingdom right there, okay? But what did Jesus have to say all this? What did he have to say in response to all this? Eat me. Eat me. That's what he said in response to all this. That sequence of events feeds the hungry. 5,000 people walk some water. They want to make him king. He says, eat me. <laughs> One, that's rude, right? Two, two, let's put it this way. My job is to equip you folks, to equip the saints, so that you can be prepared in season and out of season to share the gospel of Christ, okay? I can't really recommend highly enough that you avoid the following as your elevator gospel pitch. Oh, you haven't heard of Jesus? He's great. He's bread. You have to eat him to have eternal life. By the way, you gotta drink his blood too. That elevator door is gonna shut. I don't think you're gonna score a convert there. I hate to say it, but I don't think that's the way you preach, right? I don't think that's gonna convert people's minds. Maybe their hearts. Maybe a poet might like it, right? But it's kind of a weird thing to say. It was the same thing in the first century in Capernaum. When they heard this at Capernaum, the Bible says, the, the, the people said, this teaching is just too difficult. It's too hard. We can't accept this. What does Jesus say to that when they say, this is too hard, Jesus, come on. This is too difficult of teaching. He doesn't let up. He says, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Yeah, it did. John chapter six, verse 66 says that because of this teaching, this bread teaching, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer went with him. They walked away completely, completely. It was a very difficult teaching, a real head scratcher, and it was even kind of hair raising. Only the 12 apostles stuck around and Jesus says to them, y'all wanna leave too? And Simon Peter, the chief of the apostles says something interesting. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've heard that before? The words of eternal life. That's what he says in response to this teaching. It's an important response. It's very, very wise. It shows that he understood the teaching. You know what my favorite rock star John Lennon said about the apostles? He said, quote, that they're thick and ordinary. That they're basically dumb. That's not the case at all. Peter's response to Jesus shows that he understood this very, very difficult teaching. He understood it. And it breaks down like this. Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven. Well, what's the bread from heaven? It's a Bible thing. He's referring to a story. He's referring to the Exodus. He's referring to the manna, the bread that comes down from heaven and feeds the starving Israelites so that they don't die. That's the bread of heaven. Jesus says, it's that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he starts opening up the meaning. Hold up, Jesus. Are you therefore saying that you came down from heaven? That's what they ask him. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What's the will of him who sent you? 
that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life. So they're like, okay, gotcha. The whole believe in me thing. We've been following you. We believe in you. But nonetheless, you just said you're bread from heaven. But you're Jesus from Nazareth. So how does this whole bread thing work out? How can you be bread from heaven that gives life to the world? He says, okay, guys, the bread that I'm going to give the world is my flesh. Ugh. I'm sure people started getting a little nauseous at that point. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ugh. And Jesus doesn't explain. He just digs him deeper. He says, very truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That didn't help. That didn't help. And that's when they get pissed. And this is where Jesus finally shows his cards. And he says, guys, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless, but the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Okay, Jesus unlocks the riddle there. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, Jesus' flesh is the bread of life. You have to eat it in order to gain life. But the flesh itself is useless. It's the spirit that thereof that gives life. And it's his words that are the spirit. So this is why Peter's response was very wise when he says, you have the words of eternal life. He understood the riddle. Jesus was saying, you have to believe my words. You have to believe my words, the words of Jesus Christ, a man of flesh and blood, a man from Nazareth. You have to believe his words, that particular man's words. He's the only image and son of the father. You can't see the invisible father unless you see the son in flesh and blood. Hence these words, this indeed is the will of my father that all who see the son and believe in him have eternal life. So pause. Jesus said you have to see the son and believe his words. Why exactly? Why believe him? Let me ask you something. Do y'all believe that Jesus is telling the truth? Just raise your hand. Do you yes. believe Jesus is telling the truth? Yes. And some people are on the fence, huh? Or don't feel like raising their hand. For those of you who believe him, here's the next question. Is it the truth because Jesus is telling it or is he telling it because it's the truth? This is what this is really driving at. He's telling it because it's the truth. And this is what he's saying the whole time in his ministry. It's the truth straight from God the Father, our creator, but only the Son knows this truth intimately. That's why believing the Son is so important. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is why Christianity, by the way, is not a religion, it's a revelation. It's a revelation. So who is the Son? Who is the Son? The Apostle John, who recorded this whole story we just talked about, he saw the son and he believed him, just like it says he should, right? He saw him and believed in him. He spent three and a half years with Jesus. And the first thing John wants to tell us in the first chapter of his gospel is that the son is the logos. You've heard that word, logos? It's a Greek word. It's the root word of logic. It means reason. It means wisdom. It means order, harmony. It means meaning, okay? It's the pattern of truth. 
John says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. This is saying that in the very beginning, before creation, it was just the Creator and His Logos, just the Creator and His wisdom. And the Creator was His own wisdom. The Creator was wisdom. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. So John is saying something really special here. He's saying that all things came into being through a pattern of order, in wisdom, not in chaos, but through order, through logic, through logic, and not just inanimate things. Like He's talking about life itself. Life itself is inherently ordered, logical, meaningful, harmonious. It came into being through wisdom. It's ordered and reasonable according to a pattern of truth, right? And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. John is telling us that the Logos became flesh, and though the Logos in the flesh testified that the flesh is useless, nonetheless, the Logos of the Father couldn't be seen or known by anyone without becoming flesh. How are you gonna see it if it's not walking around? It's not visible. And John says that what they saw in him was the glory of the Father. And the glory of the Father was grace and truth. Truth. This is why I asked you, is something true because Jesus said it? Or did he say it because it's true? He always says something because first and foremost, it's true. It's eternally true. This is very, very profound and it's very, very important for us. Because this is Jesus' fundamental challenge to our world. Okay? There is an order. There is a logic. There is a harmony, a pattern of truth. There's a reason for creation. And it comes from the creator. The creator is not just a creator who created and then walked away. And neither is he a despotic king who just rules by whims and chaos and does what he feels like for no reason. The creator is wise and the creator is wisdom. He's ordered. His creation has an order, it has a purpose, it has a truth to be discerned, lived by, harmonized with, and shared. Shared. And that's what Jesus did. He said, for this reason I was born and have come into the world to testify the truth. The truth. This truth, the logos, the logic, the order, it's what orders creation. It's the wisdom and logic of the creator that governs his kingdom. And this is the kingdom we're talking about when we say of its increase will be no end. So when someone like John Lennon comes along and says, Christianity is going to shrink and, and vanish, it's going out of style, they have no idea what they're talking about. Christian religion might change, change form, change shape, but the Christian revelation is truth. And truth never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He came to reveal eternal truths that shape the world we live in and not the other way around. And importantly, these eternal truths are not beyond anyone's grasp, okay? They're intelligible, they're logical, they may be discerned, lived by, harmonized with, and shared, okay? So, back to bread. It's no accident that Jesus gave one of his most difficult teachings, calling himself bread, after the miracle of the loaves and fishes and after walking on water. What's the image here? Bread walking on water. 
I am bread walking on water. It's a weird image, but in the 11th chapter of Ecclesiastes, this exact image occurs. And no doubt Jesus hoped his students would pick it up. It says, cast your bread upon the waters for after many days, you will find it again. Sounds a bit like the resurrection, by the way. Divide your portion among seven or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may befall the land. It says, cast your bread upon the waters. This is a proverb about sharing with abandon. Okay, about investing your life and time and getting greater returns than expected, just like the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And take it from our Lord Jesus. His difficult teaching is that the life of the bread that comes from heaven is truth. And he shows the way of harmony with the truth by offering the bread of his flesh for the life of the world with abandon. He casts his own bread upon the waters of the world. We're called to emulate that. We're called to also cast our bread upon the water, sharing the eternal truths of God's kingdom wherever we go and all things we do with abandon, with abandon. Cast your bread on the waters. The lesson from Jesus' difficult teaching is also not to get caught up on the forms, caught up on the flesh, because the flesh is useless. It's the spirit that gives life. Follow the spirit. Live in truth. All right? Don't worry what it looks like when you offer your bread of life to the world. You might offend people. Jesus did, right? You might lose followers. You might lose friends. Jesus did. But you will gain everything. You'll gain harmony, peace, and life eternal in God's eternal truth. Can I get an amen to that? Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com. <laughs>